Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So I got to tell you, we've done over 800 episodes, uh, but I got to tell you that this is one that I'm really excited about. As the saying goes, once you're lucky, twice you're good. And in this case, you know, like uh, our founder today has built not one, but multiple billion dollar companies. Now he's on his third rocket ship. We're going to be talking about it. We're going to be talking about building, scaling, financing, acquisitions, taking your company public, hiring, all the good stuff that we like to hear. So brace yourself for a very inspiring episode. And without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Renaud Laplanche. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. So originally born in the beautiful city of Paris, but grew up in the south of France. Give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Uh, it was uh, it was fun actually. Uh, growing growing uh, growing up in the south of France uh, was really nice. I mean, it's nice weather. Um, it's a uh, pretty like slow pace life, uh, but lots of interesting people. And I was into sailing at the time. I'm still is to some extent. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, I was spending uh, three four days at school, three four days uh, out on the water. Uh, it was a nice way to grow up. And how did you come up with the whole combination of business and law? You know, people will typically either go into one or the other direction, but how did that combination come about for you? Yeah, you know, it's, um, I always found it uh, very complimentary. And um, I'm not one of these uh, reformed lawyers who was like bored at a law firm and couldn't wait to get out. I actually enjoyed uh, practicing law. I think uh, it can be, I think anything you do in life can be very uh, interesting and and, uh, and you can be creative, uh, even in, in you practice law or accounting, things that you wouldn't think of being uh, uh, bringing up your creative skills. Uh, I think you know, there's always ways to be to be innovative and to uh, sort of go uh, where where nowhere has gone before and and uh, sort of, uh, chart a new new ground. Yeah, because in this case, for you, once you got your degree, you ended up joining a U.S. law firm called Cleary Gottlieb that uh, was ultimately your bridge into the U.S. But uh, there you spent actually close to five years. So five years gives you access to many learnings, many lessons learned. So I guess in your case, what do you think that practicing law and studying law gave you from a frame of reference and perspective that would serve you later on in life? Yeah, I think um, the practicing law at the top law firm like Clary Gottlieb um, really gives you um, a great sort of, uh, overview of a lot of different businesses, right? And that's something you get also if you start at an investment firm or a consulting company. Uh, it's a good way to start your career, I find, because it really gives you exposure to different industries, different businesses, different founders and executives. And, uh, and give you a sense of what, what works and what doesn't. I think that, that, that's a positive. And then the, the practice of law itself, uh, as I was saying, could be, be really creative. And it's, it's all about, uh, you know, you have a problem in front of you and you have a toolbox and it's uh, all about choosing the right tool. And if the right tool is unavailable, it's about crafting a tool that would help you in that case. Uh, so it, um, I, I found it really uh, sort of rewarding. 
So how did you get your ticket to come to the U.S.? How did that happen? Yeah, so uh, so the firm uh, made the decision that <laughs> they probably regretted in hindsight, but they offered me to spend uh, six months to a year uh, at the New York office. Um, and and the, the idea was uh, an ability to really sort of meet more of a U.S.-based partner and and then come back to to, to Paris. Uh, but you know, it was 1999. Uh, it was a great time to uh, leave a, a cushy, well-paid job at a bank or or a, uh, a law firm and uh, and really start a new company. And, uh, and obviously, lots of lots of things were happening in in the, on the internet and and in software. At that time, uh, so it was a great, great time to uh, to raise money and and um, and get it going. But that's quite the shift of careers, Renault. You know, like uh, switching from uh, the legal side of things and 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 pushing paper. You know, as lawyers would do in New York, especially in New York. Oh my God! Uh, I guess how did that um, idea of giving your notice and 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 venturing into the unknown? How did that come up? Um, yeah, you know, I had this idea of a search technology that actually I needed as a as a lawyer, right? The, I mean, the, the search capabilities we had uh, internally were, were really not not great, and we were spending and, and wasting a lot of time so looking for precedent and correspondence. Um, and at the time, I met uh, someone in New York who was uh, finishing his, his PhD in artificial intelligence and information retrieval. Uh, and so uh, with uh, my business ideas and his, uh, his technology, we, uh, we, we thought we had something uh, and, and we decided to, to launch uh, Matchpoint, which was uh, a sort of enterprise search engine, so sort of a Google for inside the firewall. Uh, so technology that I needed as a, as a user and, um, and we, we found was, was missing in the world. And how was that um, adjustment to uh, now becoming an entrepreneur and 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 putting fires out? Yeah, it was, was quite a bit of an adjustment, you know. Uh, as a like fifth year associate in a big law firm, you you, get, you have a lot of support staff and uh, you don't get your your hands dirty much. Uh, so I went from that to assembling uh, IKEA furniture uh, in a uh, tiny office. Uh, um, right above a McDonald's, like a 24-7 McDonald's. Uh, so we were smelling uh, burgers uh, every every uh, hour of the night and, and day. Um, and, uh, you know, with no, no support and you do it all yourself and you, you're constantly, in the early days, I find it actually um, really exhilarating. Uh, but in the early days, I mean, you, you're constantly uh, sort of moving up or down, right? You're like uh, uh, doing some like very uh, sort of day-to-day mundane uh, tasks. Uh, and then you're thinking about the long-term strategy of the business. And then you're going back to assembling IKEA desk for the, for the next employee that's coming uh, next week. So uh, it's uh, it's a lot of uh, scaling up uh, up and down, but uh, you know, just very uh, very formative as a as a young entrepreneur. So also first company first exit. So uh, quite a good uh, hitting rate right there. So 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 walk us through how the acquisition with Oracle came about. Make us uh, insiders there for a minute. Yeah, we were lucky that uh, at the time uh, both uh, Microsoft and Oracle were uh, sort of investing in search technologies and, and Google and, and internet search engines were, were becoming so sophisticated uh, and working so well 
that there was growing frustration for professionals to not have the same experience inside the firewall, the fire firewall, and um, not being able to uh, sort of seamlessly, easily, quickly retrieve the information they needed to to do their job. Um, so all the big software companies were investing in search at the time. So we we were lucky to have two uh, bidders for, for the business, and uh, Oracle ended up being the, the high bid, and uh, and we decided to to sell. And, and it was a pretty uh, pretty easy decision at the time to between like selling the business or, or keep it going, uh, because we could see how there was consolidation and 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 a lot of CTOs and CIOs uh, inside large enterprises were still hesitant to go with that small technology company, small software company that didn't have a lot of financial stability where we raised a couple of rounds, but didn't have a a lot of cash. Um, But the technology was great and and worked really well. Um, So it it felt like uh, we would be more successful as part of a larger larger, uh, software powerhouse like, like Oracle or Microsoft. Uh, what kind of visibility would you say that this gave you into the full cycle of a business? Because here you were able to uh, go through every single you know base that you can think of of uh, you know building, scaling, and and also exiting. So I guess from a thirty thousand foot view, what kind of visibility that, did that give you into the cycle of of a company? Yeah, it was great. I mean, in five years, we went from the ID stage to raising money to. Uh, Almost uh, running out of money, <laughs> making making payroll with my own paycheck, uh, literally a couple of times. Um, uh, to actually, our, our uh, headquarters were in the World Trade Center uh, in 2001. We lost uh, we lost our headquarters and we lost like quite a bit of, of a bit of technology and, and, and some paperwork. Uh, so having to like rebuild, regroup. Uh, fortunately, we didn't lose any any employees uh, on September 11. So, um, but but that that suddenly slowed down the business and 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 that slowed down the economy a lot. So, um, was was hard uh, for like nine to twelve months, and then recovered from that and and, and really experienced uh, fast growth and and success for for a couple of years, uh, and then the uh, then the exit and the. Negotiations um, and and it's already the full cycle, as you said, and and then the sort of uh, integration uh, from from the standpoint of the acquiree, um, integration into a, a large uh, large companies. Uh, I think like Oracle has thirty thousand employees also at the time. Um, so yeah, very very different work environment. Um, really sort of interesting task to relaunch Matchpoint as an Oracle product. Um, and uh, retain the employees, and then uh, uh, transition the, the brand and the customer base. So that, that was uh, that was really interesting, and to think that it all happened uh, inside of six years uh, was really really exciting. That's amazing. Now, after the acquisition, you went to Oracle, and you did the famous besting and resting. I'm not sure how much resting was there, but uh, definitely you did it for one year and one day. So it was like literally on the dot, boom, you gave your notice. So so give us a, a kind of like a, a, an insider look or perspective into how the idea of your next company came about, Lending Club, uh, and how did you go from ideation all the way to incubation and to, and to the launch of the business? 
Yeah, so VID again uh, came to me as a as a user, right? They, uh, so I was uh, in my uh, in my living room opening the mail, and uh, so the first piece of mail I opened was my credit card statement, where I was uh, discovered that I was paying eighteen uh, percent sort of interest rate on my credit card balance, which I thought was a really high rate. Um, but then the next piece of mail I opened was my savings account statement where my high yield savings account, where at the time I was earning like 0.5%. Uh, so I thought, okay, wait a minute, uh, that, that's a really big spread. Uh, if I basically lend money to the bank, they give me 0.5%. If I borrow from the bank on my credit card, I'm gonna pay 18, where is all that money going? Um, so that, that really was the idea of, of Lending Club, of creating a marketplace uh, that would, um, Essentially, shortcut the banks, cut out the middleman, um, and and bring uh, on both sides of the marketplace. On one side, people who need the money; on the other side, people who have the money, and uh, let them uh, give them the tools to enter into uh, credit agreements, so into loans, into personal loans, um, so that um, like savers, investors would earn more than 0.5 percent. And uh, people borrowing the money would pay less than 18. And in this case, uh, I would say that Lending Club was one of the companies that paved the way for the whole fintech, you know, revolution, right? I mean, you guys launched the platform in 2007. So I'm sure that, you know, now, obviously, you know, like there is a, a nice path to follow for all these fintechs that are launching. But I'm sure that really blending in not only the securities or the or the regulatory compliance with perhaps the... Um, also, the, 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 the uncertainty of building a company from nothing, blending those uncertainties into one, I'm sure that was not easy. Yeah, no, a lot of hurdles. Uh, and as you said, I think we were lucky to pave the way for, for sort of consumer fintech. Um, but that means there was a lot of uncertainty uh, at the beginning, regulatory uncertainty, as you said. Like, we are not sure if these like, fraction of loans would be considered securities or not. And they, we had a lot of discussions with the SEC and they said yeah, they are securities. So we, we had to shut down the, the platform for six months to register the entire program. Uh, as a uh, as essentially a a public offering of securities, um, and uh, but when it went for it because we did it voluntarily, I think the SEC was uh, was helpful in the process, and, and we were able to do it relatively relatively quickly, and have a pretty pretty clean break and clean clean launch, relaunch. Um, but there there were like other issues. I mean, just like the um, I think the lack of comfort at the time for transacting online. Uh, and, and particularly entering into financial transactions with or through um, a platform um, that just had been around for a couple of years and, and, uh, and wasn't well known at all, but it was clearly a challenge. I mean, banks banks aren't great at delivering um, great consumer experience or, or a lot of customer satisfaction. Uh, but they are really good at establishing trust. Right? People generally don't love their bank, but, but they trust it. They, they, they know it's always going to be there uh, because, because it's been there for, in some case, 400 years. Um, and there's FDIC insurance and, and all that. Uh, when you're entering into financial transactions with a company that's been around for two years, I think now it, it, uh, that, that uh, trust has been built, but at the time it had not. So it, it was really even the beginning of e-commerce, 
Uh, so just like this like spot transaction when you're buying something, it, it was fine. And entering into a three or five year term loan uh, with a company that's been around for two years, uh, it's, uh, it's quite a leap of faith. So we really had to like, build that, that trust over time. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com, and we would love to take a look at helping you out. Now, I want to now bring you a little bit back in time. That's going to be December 10th, 2014. You guys are ringing the bell, uh, and, uh, and basically, you know, one of the biggest IPOs in 2014. What goes through your mind that day? Yeah, it was a good day. Uh, it was uh, certainly a lot of uh, a lot of pride as a founder when you uh, do a big IPO like this, and we um, we uh, were able to uh, sort of uh, hang uh, a giant uh, sort of landing club logo on the uh, facade of the New York Stock Exchange on uh, on Broad Street, um, and uh, sort of had a, a lot of our customers were there. We were able to invite. Um, Lots of employees, uh, everybody wearing the landing club colors. And so we had 100, 120 employees on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Um, and uh, so for, yeah, all the TVs where we're there, I was on TNBC from, from the exchange. Um, so yeah, it was, was a lot of uh, pride and, and uh, a lot, uh, I think good branding opportunity. I mean, if you're running a consumer company, um, so being, being public, uh, it could go, I mean, it could cut both ways. Uh, when when the stock doesn't uh, doesn't go the right way, uh, but but if uh, if the stock performs reasonably well, uh, it's a good opportunity to align interest between your like retail shareholders and your customers, uh, especially in the case of Lending Club, where a lot of the uh, customers, a lot of the investors were on the retail side of the, the platform, uh, were also like investors in the loans and investor in the stock. Um, so there, there are some some synergies there when when uh, when things go well. So at the peak of the valuation, you know, it was ten billion. So uh, really incredible, incredible journey. Uh, but obviously, you know, 
once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. And in May of 2016, it's time to turn page. And then you decide it's time to launch another rocket ship. So walk us through how did this sequence of events, you know, unfolded there for you to uh, take action and get going with Upgrade? Yeah, I mean, first my exit from Landing Club, I mean, it was a pretty, uh, pretty public uh, uh, disagreement with, with the board. I mean, we had some compliance issues and a lot of disagreements as to who was to blame for it and, and uh, what to do about it to, to fix it. Um, so I, I left. Uh, I left the company then. Uh, but a lot of the um, uh, sort of top team um, also uh, disagreed uh, with uh, with the way the board handled the situation. So they they all left at the same time. So we we had uh, actually everything we needed to like start a new platform. Um, and a lot of the sort of, uh, landing club shareholders who were not on the board also sided with us. Uh, so we said, whatever you guys do, uh, we want we were in. Um, and uh, so we had the sort of the capital, the, the people, and the knowledge to to start a new platform. And um, I think the idea, and and also I mean when you run a company like Landing Club for ten years, you you learn a lot. And uh, there's this long long list of things uh, that was say uh, all the things we do differently if we had the opportunity to to start over again. Uh, and, and so we we got that opportunity. So we uh, we incorporated all these learnings um, into uh, into the design of, of upgrade. And then one of the big learnings was I think one of the mistakes, strategic mistakes we made at Sending Club, was to remain uh, sort of monoline, to remain the single product company for too long. And uh, I think the personal loan product was a great product, very. Uh, useful for consumers to to get rid of of credit card debt and and really sort of, um, uh, sort of handle their credit the right way in a way that's more affordable and and, and more responsible, paying down their um, their debt every month with a personal loan rather than this like revolving credit card. Um, so the useful product for consumers, very big market, growing fast, uh, but but we should have. Uh, we should probably have done more, uh, launched more product while personal loan was was going so fast. Um, and so when we designed Upgrade, we really designed it as a more as a multi-product platform from the get-go uh, and have sort of mobile banking, credit cards, personal loans, uh, home improvement, auto loans. Um, and there, there are a lot of benefits, obviously a lot of synergies between the, these different uh, different products and a lot of benefits for consumers. Um, when they start thinking of you not as a product, but really as as a platform, as a partner uh, that's going to be there for like all the, the all their financial needs. Um, that's really how we how we thought about upgrade early on, and and what what it what it's become uh, over the last uh, six years. And when, it, when, when we're talking about what it has become, you know, for the people that are listening to really get it, what ended up being the business model of Upgrade? How do you guys make money? Yeah, so it's uh, it's really a sort of neo bank, uh, right? So we have mobile banking and, and all kinds of credit products. Um, so they, obviously, the more uh, customers do with us, uh, the more benefits they have, right? They, they keep their bank accounts with us. Uh, they, they can get a higher line on their credit card, uh, lower rates on their loans, uh, because we, we have more data, we have a better understanding of what's going on in their life, so we can underwrite and service uh, these customers better. Um, 
And the way we make money is uh, typically by getting sort of fees um, uh, paid either by uh, customers or by loan buyers. And uh, we're still a balance sheet light and capital light uh, business, so we don't um, we, we we don't have a big balance sheet. Uh, we typically originate um, loans and card balances, then sell them to um, banks, credit unions, asset managers. So it, it's still uh, still a platform, still a marketplace. Uh, it's not a retail marketplace, so there are professional investors on the other side, uh, but sort of similar idea in terms of uh, not being the bank, uh, but, but really so, or being the, like the face of the bank uh, on the consumer side, uh, but really outsourcing uh, the entire sort of capital formation and, and uh, balance sheet to, um, uh, to investors. So for upgrade, upgrade now, you guys have raised $587 million, and it's reported that the valuation, you know, is looking at $6.3 billion, which is a remarkable. I'm sure that, you know, this time around, especially, you know, after your previous rodeos and the dynamics that you encounter, you know, at board levels and stuff like that, how did you go about doing things differently at a corporate and governance perspective? Oh, how much time do you have? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like everything is different, right? They, I mean, in terms of uh, sort of organizational structure. So, uh, I mean, one thing we did very early on is um, all these sort of operations um, or in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. So um, everything that's uh, labor intensive is in a low cost uh, location. Something we didn't do at Atlantic Club at the time. Um, even for engineering, where we have a core engineering team in San Francisco, it's pretty distributed. Beyond that, we have two uh, great of engineering centers in uh, uh, in Canada, where uh, there's a great talent pool, um, but lower cost of living and, and a, a very sort of loyal uh, of, um, base of, of, of engineers. Um, has been doing a great, great job for us, but at a lower cost than um, what what we would um, what we would see in, in the Bay Area. Um, uh, the board and our relations with, with investors is different. We uh, we really sort of wanted to keep control of the company, so uh, we still haven't sold any share with voting rights. Uh, we uh, we still uh, as the founders of like have all the voting rights. So there are productive provisions for investors. We have veto controls, obviously, and some we can't like go raise money with, without without them agreeing or, or, or merge the company or, or uh, all that kind of things. But um, so there are productive provisions. So it's well designed, and investors are happy with that setup. Uh, but in terms of day-to-day running the company, that really gives us the full control over our decisions and and how we <clears throat> how we organize the board and how the board works. Um, really in the interest of the shareholders, no, not uh, um, n- which is not what we really saw at Atlantic Club, where um, at some point there was divergence and, and the board really worked in its own interest uh, and against the, the shareholders, and that that's why so much. Uh, so, so many of the, uh, the many of shareholders sided with, with us at the time. So now, Renault, imagine you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of upgrade is fully realized. What does that world look like? Yeah, so we really became uh, like the most, one of the most trusted and loved brand, uh, consumer brands in, in uh, uh, I was going to say in the US, but in, in the world. 
I mean, if I, if I can choose when, when that type, if I, if I, if I wake up in, depending if I wake up in five years or in 20 years, um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's really about that. It's really about building trust with customers and, and of, um, having really customers see us as, um, their partner and as like someone who's in their corner and is going to help them through, um, like all the, all the big events in their life and, and even the, the small ones day to day. Um, and, uh, when, when we launch a new product, customers are excited and they, um, they, they'd much rather have that product from upgrade, uh, than, than from anybody else because they know that they, uh, the terms of that product and the conditions and the pricing uh, has really been sort of designed in the best interest of our customers. So let's say I bring you back in time now. I put you into a time machine, Renault, and I bring you back in time. I bring you, I bring you back in time to that moment where it's 99. And you are now, you've, you've literally given your notice at the law firm. You are coming out of the firm, you know, literally one Liberty Plaza in New York City to make it even more, more visual. And let's say you're able to stop on the tracks that the younger Renault that is coming out of the of the building, and you're able to sit that younger self down for a cup of coffee, and you're able to give that younger Renault one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be, and why? Given what you know now, um, it's really focus on on the people, um, <clears throat> focus on on the the founders, uh, the first few hires. Um, because they, these have like, uh, so much impact on culture and, and success, right? I mean, the first people you're going to surround yourself with, whether they're, they're co-founders or, or the early employees, I mean, they're the ones who are going to, uh, sort of hire the next level down and, 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 and then these guys are going to hire the next level down. And, and so if you don't have a great alignment and the right Skill set at the top, you're doomed. <laughs> no, none of it. It doesn't matter how good the idea is. Uh, the execution isn't isn't going to follow. Um, so, so really, like surrounding yourself with, uh, with the best people and, and and best really takes a lot of time to define. Right? It's not absolute best. That's going to be the people who um, are going to share your vision, are going to share your excitement. Um, or going to say yes, I'm I'm so I'm going to make a lot of sacrifices in the next five or ten years, uh, but it's all worth it because this is where we want to go and this is uh, this is what we want to build together. Um, and uh, so there needs to be that alignment and that energy, uh, but also the, the skill set and the experience, right? I mean, I I started a software company uh, without being a, a technologist. And and two finance companies without being uh, uh, without having any uh, at least the first one without having any um, of experience in in, in consumer finance um, or, or banking. Um, so it's really key to surround yourself with people who have different skill sets, uh, different experiences, and can be like complementary uh, and like be good uh, in the areas you're not so good, and, and vice versa. I love it. So, Renault, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on uh, LinkedIn or um, they can send me an email. Um, it's uh, or, or at upgrade.com. Uh, I, 
I read all my emails. Uh, I try to respond to all. Uh, if I don't respond the first time, send, send, send a new one and I'll, uh, you'll most likely hear back from me. Amazing. Well, hey, Renault, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. It was great, great to be on. Thank you. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.